1: have changed good day wherever you're listening from and welcome to indoor air quality radio iaq radio for friday february 5th 2010 i'm not getting anything in my earphones here any what do you got there okay uh, hopefully you can hear me there episode 154 comes to you from studio b in beautiful Coriopolis, pennsylvania my name is Joe Hughes, a Radio Joe, and with us on the phone from Studio M in Mexico is the Z-Man, Cliff Slotnick. Hello, Cliff.
3: Hey, hey, Joe. Good afternoon, hey everyone. Got you.
1: I guess you can hear me just fine, huh?
3: Yeah, I hear you just fine. All
1: right, great. Today's segment's in call, of course, at the controls, the in- intrepid, intrepid environmental Annie, Ann Koalecki.
4: Good afternoon.
1: Good day, Ann. Today's segments include the microband trivia question, We've got two guests in the studio, Maria Moya and Mike DeCroce with the Pittsburgh Public Schools. They're handling the Integrated Pest Management Program at the Pittsburgh Public Schools. We'll bring them on in just a minute. We also have our halftime with Dr. Dietrich Wow and the Roundup. We've been updating and adding a blog to that IAQ Radio website every week after the show. Check it out at www.iaqradio.com. Before we get started, let's thank our sponsors.
2: Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at
1: ieconnections.com. DryEase Products, providing equipment for drying water damaged homes and buildings. DryEase is first in drying solutions at DRI-EAZ.com.
2: John Don Products, where restoration and abatement
1: contractors shop at JONDON.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the expert's insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years at legends-enviro.com. Please be sure to thank our
2: sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you inquire about their products and services.
1: Okay, to contact the show, you can call 724-444-7444. Our show ID is 1547. Of course, you can go to the iaqradio.com website And follow the link that says go to the show. We also have shows available for uh, download archived on our site and at iTunes. Don't forget, you can get ABIH, Certification Maintenance Points, IICRC, Continuing Education Credits, or ACAC Renewal Credits. Just request a quiz by emailing me at joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com. Our emails are also on the homepage of the website. And last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. Let's turn it over to Annie. You can handle the uh, trivia question today. I will. Here's- Great. <laughs>
5: Congratulations to Dottie Hughes, who answered last week's trivia question correctly. You could win a cool prize by outcompeting fellow IAQ radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the microband trivia question. Submitting your answer is easy. Simply email it to Z at ProRestoreProducts.com. Now for the trivia question for February 5th, 2010. NAME THE PEST CONTROL INDUSTRY PIONEER WHO AUTHORED THE HANDBOOK OF PEST CONTROL. BACK TO YOU.
1: ALL RIGHT. THANK YOU. NOW LET ME DO A BRIEF INTRO OF OUR TWO GUESTS HERE. MARIA MOYO IS THE DISTRICT OPERATIONS SUPERVISOR AT THE Pittsburgh PUBLIC SCHOOLS. She's been with the school district for 27 years now, and she started the Integrated Pest Management Program at the school district. She's now in charge of operations and maintenance activities at about 25 of the school's almost 100 buildings. We've got Mike DeCroce, who is now the IPM coordinator and operator. He's been with the Pittsburgh Public Schools for 15 years now, and he is the guy on the ground in the field out there taking care of the little critters uh, that occasionally pop up. Before we start, I think we've got some uh, music for our guests.
0: my
5: inside.
1: What are we gonna do? All right. That sounds like one Cliff picked out there. That's a good one, Annie. Okay, let's get started. First I wanna say thanks for joining us in the studio. Maria. Hi, how That's are good. you? Good, thanks. Thanks nice for day. having hey. us. Joe. Mike, really awesome. Appreciate it. First time Pittsburgh Public Schools have been on IAQ radio and uh, it's great to have our own local school district be a pioneer in this field. And uh, I'd like to talk a little bit more about that, but let's let's first get a little um, idea of, you know, why is it so important? Let's put it this way, pest management within schools, it's gotta be a big issue. I mean, do you have a lot of uh, angry parents, uh, et cetera, calling?
5: Not usually. Um, We do get questions. If we would have to use a pesticide, sometimes they'll call in and say, what is this? Why are we using this? Is there an alternative? And we always try to use alternative because IPM is a process for achieving long-term pest suppression. You have to first um, inspect, identify, and then you got to get your uh, game plan of um, how you want to control it. Uh, it's usually sanitation. Sanitation is a big, big key for pest control. Exclusion, repair of structural shortcomings, um, removing the food source because pests need three things to survive: food, water, harborage, and um, baiting. We do a lot of baiting, monitoring, and the last is the you know use of uh, pesticides.
1: If need be, when you get to that point, Mike, anything you'd like to add as far as you know why it's such a pest management, such an important issue? Because we have to deal with it
4: not only in our buildings but at home. Uh, the administrators, teachers, parents, even students have to deal with uh, pests of all different kinds. Whether you're dealing with uh, insects or rodents or uh, whatever it may be, uh, we ipm is a learning tool that even students can learn and and practice at home and use it for the rest of their life these are tools that they can use in in contrast to using pesticides so you know to educate everybody i I believe is is the key to winning the battle on on any type of pest i see I, i know that when we
1: started talking about this earlier my my thoughts immediately went to my own home so i'm i'm sure these same principles that maria mentioned would work in home uh, as in homes as well and I'm, I'm sure that um you probably practice these in your own homes now what's the difference though between well let's let's go back i know back in the uh 80s i think you started actually doing this program in the mid-'80s. What was it like before you started the Integrated Pest Management Program? How were pests handled at that time?
5: Well, at that time, we were licensed. Um, we're, we have uh, custodians and myself. We are all certified pest control operators, and we were trained, and we took the Department of Agriculture's test and passed, and how we did it then is, you know, we took over. We were used to be contracted out, and because we were such a large school district, it was easier for us to communicate with our staff more than an outside company. We had better communication, and once we learned and we were trained, what we would do is we would get our calls, okay, and that that was the time before beepers and cell phones, and we would come into the office and get our calls, and then we would go out to the schools and, you know, treat where we had problems, and... Things were done on a routine basis, which we still do routine, like inspections, but... Um,
1: so you mean there were routine treatments as opposed to inspections, yeah. okay?
5: Well, you inspect, and like I like I said before, first you have to identify, know mm-hmm. what you're... You know, somebody would see one ant or one roach, and, you know, you have to ask questions. Um, you would They would say, we saw roaches. Well, you know, I'd go in and I'd say, well, where did you see them? How many? You have to know these things because you me doing this for a number of years i know you know by where they tell me they saw them if it's a problem if it's isolated or if it can be a major infestation so for one ant we're not going to spray and i just thought at that time even before we had adopted a policy it was senseless to use pesticides when we didn't need them
4: okay you
5: know use them where you you need them but not where you don't need them and um Nobody wants to see any roaches, let me tell you that right now. <laughs> one is too many in, in, in the schools because, every, you know, everybody says, oh, if you see one, there's millions of them. And there can be, a, you know, a lot of them, but it could be an isolated incident. Maybe it came in on a package or, you know, where did you see this? You have to ask these questions. First, you want to know what you saw, where you saw it, how many. Like if you're seeing them around a sink you know, under by a refrigerator, you know, you could almost bet you have some type of infestation there. But if you see, saw one in the hall or maybe by a locker, you know, they could have been brought in. They could have been brought in on a package. In Pittsburgh, we deal with uh, three different types of roaches, the German, the American, and the Oriental. All, they're different even though they're roaches, they have different uh, lifestyles and habits, and that's what you have to know, what the lifestyles and habits are of the pest. I
1: see. Now, so back then, um, you saw, you decided you needed to have a better program, I guess, uh, work, at, work yeah. at this a different way, and right. then you started to look into it, I assume, and uh, decided
5: Yeah, we got involved, um, we adopted a policy in uh, 1998 And Clean Water Action was involved. And and i got to be honest, I never thought that uh, at first that IPM would actually work well. um, You were a little skeptical. Yeah, I was skeptical. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. We had a lot of schools, and I didn't know if it was going to work. But once we got into it and I saw that, you know, we were using less pesticides and it was really working and monitoring and, it 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 works it does work
1: okay cliff did, did you want to jump in here oh sure uh
3: maria you use the term monitoring um you know how do you monitor do you have little alarms that you set up or uh, you know hidden cameras how do you actually monitor for
1: Insects and rodents. Let's let Mike take that one. He's doing that a lot now.
4: Yeah, we do an awful lot of trapping and monitoring and baiting. Um, you know, we put we use a, a lot of glue boards, uh, glue baits. Uh, you put them out and about uh, where where the problem exists or where you believe the problem may stem from, and they're kind of the eyes uh, on the pest while there's nobody around. Uh, During the day, you have the the children and the teachers looking at them, but they're there for six or seven hours. What about the rest of the time? That tells us these these baits and these these glue boards, they they tell us, you know, what kind of issues do we have there? Is there one roach running around? Or is there, you know, maybe a few dozen running around? That tells us a lot when we go back and check and monitor these things, um, what kind of issues we have in that particular problem
1: when you see when you. you monitor, and let me let me get an example. You've got, you got mentioned three different types of roach. What what's the difference whether I've got an American roach or some other kind of roach? Why is that important to you? Well,
4: to me, it tells me um, if it if say first per se it was an American roach, more than likely you know it, it came from a drain ah. uh, up out of a sewer drain. If it's a, a German roach. They multiply a lot quicker. They're they're uh, they're more serious of an issue, I uh, more of a sanitation issue. Uh, and all roaches can carry disease, so you know we gotta know what we're dealing with. We so we know where to go look for them.
1: Okay, okay, so it helps you locate the source of Absolutely. the problem. Absolutely,
4: uh, N- you know German roaches. I'm going straight for a sink. Okay, uh, American roaches. I'm going straight for the floor drain. You know, so that that tells me a whole bunch before I even walk in a room what I'm dealing with. Okay, okay, Cliff.
3: Yeah, what sort of regulations are there for the use of insecticides and other treatments in schools? Are there special regulations?
4: Yes, there. Um, the, the Department of Agriculture uh, regulates the use of pesticides in, in the state of Pennsylvania. What we have to do in all other school districts in the state must follow is a, uh, a notification uh, procedure. We, if we plan on using a pesticide, we have to notify the school 72 hours prior to, to the use. Uh, we have to notify the parents of each student in that school 24 hours, or excuse me, 72 hours prior, along with the staff. Uh, we, we do postings, we put them up in the main entrances, uh, teachers' lounges, main offices, making the public aware what we're doing if, you know, should they pass through, uh, and we leave them postings up for 48 hours afterwards. And what these, uh, postings are and these notifications are, or it tells us, it talks about what, what kind of pesticide we're using what areas we're using them in, uh, the active ingredients in these pesticides, uh, the time that we're using for reentry periods. Uh, No student or staff is allowed back in that area within 24 hours, according to the Pittsburgh Public School IPM policy. Which which is a little more
1: stringent than the state
4: law? It is more stringent than the the state law. State law says... uh, whatever the label of that pesticide tells you or 7 hours whichever is greater uh the Pittsburgh public schools adopted a policy saying we don't want nobody back in there for at least 24 hours so uh you know they they we get law support from the administration and the school district what's the key
1: i mean if uh, maria you've been doing this for a long time now what's the key to getting buy-in from the people within the schools to to actually implement this program.
5: Communication is the key. Okay, if you have to have communication, cooperation, to get control, and that's basically. And we do have com, uh, communication. We do have cooperate cooperation from our administrators.
1: And. I assume this is easier for you because you're in-house. You're doing this in-house. Does, right. Do all the school districts do it the same way, or do some school districts um, you know, contract out this type of program?
5: Uh, no, some they contract out. There are a lot of good uh, uh, outside contractors out there. You just have to do your homework and try to find the best one. Okay. But I do communicate with outside contractors, get information from them. And um, like I said, it has to be communication, cooperation, and training. Training's a big thing.
1: Okay.
5: I've actually went in, Mike and myself have actually went in and trained uh, teacher staffs after school. I would set it up with the principals. Mike just recently did um, the early childhood and the Head Start areas. I got
4: one planned for next week. There's, there's always uh, people that need training. They forget. They remember the the, the I, I, ideas that go into IPM when they have a problem, but as soon as their problem goes away, sometimes you know they need a friendly reminder of of why they you know these things are reoccurring. A, a little so refresh. That's
1: right. Okay. And what's what are those key points again that that you're trying to get through these folks that they've got to, I guess. There's a source. There's generally some kind of food source you're trying to deal with. Sure.
4: Let's let's eliminate the food in the classrooms. That's part of our IPM pulse. Has that been hard? It's almost impossible. Okay. Uh, Again, when they when the uh, classroom has a problem, you get a lot of cooperation from them. Uh, But you know, treats little Johnny's birthday. uh, You know. How do you handle that though? If you don't want it in the room, you have them. Well. Let's, let's have a little Johnny's birthday party in the cafeteria. Okay. Okay. We don't have to have it in the classroom. I see. Uh, keep the food out of the classroom. Let's keep it clean, free of uh, anything that's going to entice any pests. And, and your problems will dwindle. Okay. If sure. not be eliminated. And now
1: that's the f- the first thing, I guess, is the food source. And then I, I guess there's also um, pathways for these uh for the pests do you want to talk a little bit about that Maria
5: yeah like I said uh, you want to eliminate the food source you want to repair structural short com- shortcomings which can be um, you know seal up the cracks and crevices
1: and that could be a little tough I guess in a school district uh, you've got union rules sometimes or whatever are you able to do some of that on your own or going to get a work order? Uh, mo-
4: most of the time uh, we get we get help from you know contract or excuse me our tradesmen who, you know, it depends on the the problem and how urgent it is. If it's urgent, they're there on the spot. We get a lot of cooperation from from all around. Um, We don't specifically fix anything ourselves, but uh, we can do temporary things like use steel wool to plug gaps. Why do you use steel wool to plug the gap? Well, a mouse or a rat's going to have a hard time chewing through that steel okay. wool. Okay, so that's a good so. little tip for people. If you have
1: to temporarily uh, put put something in uh, in the pathway there, steel wool is what you want to use when you're dealing with um, rodents, I sure. guess. Sure, sure, that'll okay. work. Okay, and, and Marie, I'm sorry, I cut you off a little bit now. What was the next step we talked about, the food source, the pathways? Is there another uh,
5: sanitation okay sanitation is probably the biggest and um, exclusion fixing it on a permanent basis not a temporary basis like pesticides when you use pesticides that's a short fix short term doesn't last yes it gets rid of the pest but okay you want to say okay we got these doors they can come through the bottom of the doors well you want to get a sweep on the doors that's a permanent solution yeah, we're catching the mice as they're coming in, but we want to stop them from coming in. So you want, a permanent, you want to have a permanent solution, which would be exclusion, repair, the structural shortcomings. Okay. Um, removal of the food source and baiting. We, use a, we do a lot of baiting. A lot of lure now. We use uh, Invite. It's a lure. And it's, you know, if you have a problem and you put the lure that's a, it's no pesticide at all, it'll let you know, it'll attract them.
1: Lure is like uh, when I'm going fishing. I use a, a lure to bring in some <laughs> right. bass. So you're trying to, you're, but you're you're trying to
4: actually attract the uh, the. Pests. Yeah, If they are in the area, they will be attracted, and it gives you a good idea what kind of problem you have. So then
1: you then you know how to respond to the problem based on the type of uh, pest that you lure in. Uh, Correct. Okay. okay. Correct.
4: Ray?
5: I do want to say something. Uh, we have a excellent custodial. Department and they are the key to the background of our pest control. Uh, if it wasn't for them, we couldn't do what we do because they're the ones cleaning the buildings. They're the ones that first see, you know, if there is a pest there. They're the ones that we go to to get cooperation. And you have a good custodian and a cooperative cooperative principle, then we you will get the control
1: you can make this work. Okay.
5: Cliff.
3: Um I was just wonder, you know, wondering what sort of sensitivity you have with teachers and teachers unions, whether sometimes they're more of a challenge for you communication-wise than the student parents would be.
4: I I I in my experience, I've never had a uh issue with the teachers unions or uh, they're pretty responsive to to what we're trying to do um some someone instant fixes you know they want something done right now right away they want a pesticide use because they don't like they don't care what it takes to get rid of that problem we just don't want it in our classrooms and I, and i can understand that but you know that's when the education part comes back into play this is how we do it this is what we're going to do we're going to you know try to Try to make this problem stay away forever, not just uh, a month or two.
1: And, and does that take longer then? And do you have to explain that to them? or Sometimes
4: you have to explain it to them. Again, instant gratification is what people want. Okay. And sometimes this isn't as quick as, as people hope. I see. Is. But by the time we get to the root of the problem and we get it fixed, it's it's a permanent fix most of the time.
1: And how long, I mean, I know it changes depending on the type of pest, et cetera, but can you give me an example or two of, like, you had a roach infestation, and and how long would it take to actually get to the root of that problem and fix it?
4: Well, that all depends on on the situation. You know, uh, teachers' lounges, we get a lot of roach infestations because they leave their stuff laying there overnight, you know, so once... Once we get the situation under control, we get them. We, we teach them. You got to keep this place clean. Wipe out your microwave. Let's clean out the refrigerators, with this, you know, so the stuff isn't leaking all over the place. Once they're educated, that problem doesn't come back. So, you know, once the the, the situation is under control. It usually stays under control for a good while.
1: You right, you've gotten this you got us to the point now where let's take the teacher's lines. We've got a roach problem in the teacher's lines. Now you get rid of the food sources, but the roaches don't go away. What other how do you capture whatever is out? Do you capture them, do you kill them, et cetera? I mean, well there...
4: the, with infestations a pesticide will be used. Okay. Uh, you you have to get behind cabinets, uh, little cracks and crevices. Throughout the area, you know, just think of your kitchen at home, and how many places that a little bug can hide. We have to flush 'em out of that, out of that that area. So, in that case, a pesticide may have to be applied, but once that's applied, we should never have to go back in there again, as long as they're educated on what they need to do to prevent
1: them. I see. Okay, Cliff.
3: Um. I'd like to really get back into this teacher's lounge again that that you're gonna treat. Uh if you're gonna use pesticides, would you tend to use an aerosol product? Um, do you use something like actus an actosol device, you know, for flushing them out? Do you use powder? You know, what what are the actual tools that you would use to, you know, get control of that um, infestation?
4: we um <clears throat> excuse me, we 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 do not use any aerosols. We we use products where we can mix on our own and we mix that product inducive to whatever pest we're dealing with. Um we always we mix it the least amount of active ingredient to, to actually work for the pest that we're dealing with. So this stuff you may buy at Home Depot that's pre mixed, you go up you you know, you start spraying it around, that has a lot more pesticides in it than say the stuff I use. I get in a concentrated form and I mix it myself. Okay, I see. So I mix it to the least, uh, to you know, as least toxic as I can, as long as it's going to affect be effective on whatever we're treating. Um, We do we don't fog, but we will use a microgen, which is a okay. uh, You know, to get into cracks and and flush things out. A flusher per se.
1: What's how does that work? I'm not. It's
4: it's it has a little. T- it's a kind of like a. F- it's not a fogger, but it's kind of like a fogger, where uh, you can stick it into cracks. Okay. You can use it in this room, but you can use it in small cracks to flush roaches. Or and are you flushing and killing them at the same time with the uh, the product you're uh, using? That will kill sometimes. Some some species, that ain't a high, uh, as a in it ain't high as per three minute Okay. Uh, depending on what we're dealing so with.
1: So the the. I mean, I think some people believe that. Um, you know, when you implement an IPM program, you'd never use any pesticides. That's not the case. What you're trying to do
4: is cut back on it, We cut back probably 80 to 85 percent of what we used to use even 13 years ago, 14 years ago when uh, this program was implemented. So there are times you're going to, you will have to use them. But not not as freely, and, and very, you know, the discretion is it's a, it's a last resort. I see. Okay. Um, it looks like we're real close to halftime
1: here, so why don't we go to halftime and bring Dr. Dieter in and say hello to him? Before we do, though, let's uh, thank our sponsors again.
2: We're delighted to have as our first association sponsor the Indoor Air Quality Association a nonprofit multidisciplinary group dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at iaqa.org. Now thanks
1: to our advertisers. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation, visit them at wolfsense.com. ProRestore for cleaning, odor removal,
2: and antimicrobial products and equipment remediators trust and depend on.
1: Visit them at prorestoreproducts.com. And, of course, our primary sponsors, Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry, subscriptions, and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. Dry's products providing equipment
2: for drying water-damaged homes and buildings. DryEase is first in drying solutions.
1: Learn about them at dri-eaz.com. And John Don products where restoration and abatement contractors shop at jondon.com.
2: Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn more at legends-enviro.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you inquire about their products and services.
1: Hello, Dr. Dieter.
0: Uh, Hi there. Good day to everybody. Good
1: day. Welcome.
0: And uh, I I think this is a a very interesting subject. And I know that Cliff and Joe know that I worked for a small little uh, company which developed the first pesticides in Germany. (laughs) They are all over the world today. And, yeah, pesticides, pesticides got a bad name or people are afraid of them because other people have screwed around with them and didn't know what the hell they were doing. And uh, I've seen it a hundred times at least. And for some people, a a 0.5% solution is almost the same as a 5% solution. And the other thing that I have been seeing with pesticides, not specifically in schools, I really don't know about those too much, but agricultural chemicals, and I used in my house, unfortunately, I ran out of it. Years ago, there were 10,000 lawsuits with Durstban against the Dow Chemical Corporation. They finally quit making it. And I was fortunate enough to have a bottle of concentrated stuff. And I know the difference between a 0.5% solution and a 5% solution. I also have used in my house, in the attic, very... Um, uh, safely uh, chlordane and this is 30 years ago you can't get chlordane anymore uh, because uh, the half-life of chlordane is is unbelievable Uh, it's, it's, it's there forever for all practical purposes but I also noticed and I think that's where a lot of people are afraid of pesticides, pesticide is a bad word they don't read that label and you've got to read that label and admittedly, and, and, and Cliff knows that from his products, admittedly you have to put so, there's only that much room on a label. Maybe you have to have a wraparound label on a, on a one-gallon can. It's small print and, um, and people really don't read that. Or they don't, if they read it, they don't understand it. And I can understand that. There are a couple of Terms and application uh, uh, guidelines, uh, which not you know, not everybody understands readily. So I think that's where they uh, uh, these these pesticides, which are very useful if they are used the way they were designed. But so um, that 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 is yeah one comment here right now.
1: Okay. Well, thank you, Dieter. And I, and you led me to a question, actually, because, um, you know, Dieter brings up a good point that uh, people don't read the labels, but you've got how many people now licensed by the state? I assume they've had to go through some pretty significant training and licensing. How does that work?
4: Sure. We have, uh, well, we have approximately 130 employees who are licensed with the state pesticide license. Okay. Now, don't, that sounds high. That's because they're licensed, they have a pesticide license through the state of Pennsylvania to operate a swimming pool. Oh, okay. 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 Uh, chlorine's considered a pesticide, therefore, uh, they're licensed to operate swimming pools. Uh, but even with that training, they're getting the, the core training with the safety issues as far as pesticides are concerned. I have uh, probably 20 people or so who are licensed in the school district to use a pesticide
1: and how many schools again now are we dealing with
4: we have uh well i, I believe we around there 77 open buildings and in approximately 17 closed buildings so that's about 94 buildings
1: you know mike i, I find it interesting before the show I, I know the answer but maybe you could tell our our listeners um which buildings do you have more problems with the open ones or the
4: closed ones oh the first sh- the there's no food to close buildings, uh, so therefore there's, there's not too many pests inside the structure. Very few problems. Very few and problems. And that goes
1: to the heart of IPM, right, Maria? Absolutely. I mean, you've got, to, uh, you've got to get rid of the food source. Now, the other thing they need is some kind of moisture, and you had an interesting story, Maria, before we started about uh, some moisture sources maybe that people don't think about. Can you tell us a little about that?
5: Uh, yeah, one time I had um, it was a class, little room no more than 9 by 12, and there was just a desk in the room, and somebody brought a coffee pot in from home. <clears throat> Custodian called me up, and he said, I've never had roaches in here. You've got to come out. I don't know where they're coming from. So I made, when I walked in there and I looked, I said, I'll tell you right now, they're coming from the coffee pot, and this was before all the laws and the rules and everything came out. So he goes, what do you mean? I says, well, look. I said, they're leaving the coffee in the pot. They're not shutting the pot off and And the 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 grinds are in there i says we're just going to throw this out that's going to eliminate the problem he goes oh you can't throw it out i said believe me we could throw it out i (laughs) says if they have a problem with it then tell them to call me uh so just to prove to him that i was right because he did not really want to believe me at first we took the coffee pot outside and I injected it with a flushing agent, and uh, there had to be about fifty roaches that came out with egg sacs on them. And that's where they were living. The warmth of the motor, the coffee was their liquid, their uh, liquid, their water source, and uh, the grinds were, were, was their food, the food source. source.
1: So that motor's on all the time. I mean, yeah, that- they
5: didn't shut it off.
1: Okay, interesting. I
5: got a lot of people to clean out their coffee pots. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now. I'm curious, in that situation, once you'd remove the coffee pot, did you have to treat it all, or was it just remove it?
5: Well, I had to treat the room, just that room, okay. because, you know, some did get loose, and well, I put a lot of glue boards down and monitor it, but removing that coffee pot actually removed the infestation. Now,
1: explain for our listeners what a glue board is and what you do with that.
5: There's all kinds of glue boards. There's glue boards as big as me. Okay. Um, we have pheromone traps. That's a glue board, and I'll let Mike handle that.
4: Uh, pheromone traps that we use for roaches, they um, – it's basically a box with a sticky floor. Okay. Okay? So when these things step on it, they can't get off it. Uh, it has a pheromone scent that attracts uh, the roaches to it, you know, uh, of the opposite sex. So, you know, if they're in the area, they're going to come running. Okay. And
1: you use these to identify the issue, or,
4: or I guess they sure. also help to... Well, it helps identify what we're dealing with, uh, where we're dealing with it. You know, you, you think of a classroom and how large it, it may be. And te- you you walk in, you ask the teacher, what's the problem? Well, it's a roach. Everything's a roach. They don't, you know, and nor nor should they have to know what every insect looks like. So we use it to figure out what we're dealing with, how many we're dealing with, and where we're, where the problem may be. Uh, if it's in the middle of the room, in between the desks, and you've seen one, that, it could have came off a student. Okay. okay, but you see them over by the uh, sink, underneath the stank, sink, or mixed in with all this clutter or cardboard, that tells you a whole new story. So we put them all around, see where we're catching them, what kind we're catching, and... Uh, you know, go from there as far as what what avenue we want to take to deal with the issue.
1: Cliff, do we have you back? Yeah, I'm back. Okay, do you have a question?
3: Yeah, actually, um, I was wondering if Mike and Maria could comment on any strange or unusual situations uh, that they've had with unusual insects, you know, perhaps... Uh, lice, or scabies, or bed bugs, or snakes—you know—some of the stranger, less routine things that they encounter.
4: Well, we do get do get a lot of calls for head lice. Um, we do nothing for head lice. That sounds like uh, that should be the wrong answer, but <laughs> it, it really isn't. Uh, head lice will only live on its host, which is a clean head, clean hair, scalp. Once they fall off the head, they're not going to last too long. They'll last a day or two if if they're lucky. So why would we go into a classroom and spray it down with a pesticide when that that that, that lice gonna is going to die. It's going to die. Yeah, okay. Okay, yeah. especially over a weekend. Uh, so with, with scabies, scabies and lice, we we get the custodians to disinfect the area's uh, classrooms, as far as uh, pesticide use, none. We, we, don't, we don't use it in those situations. Um, as far as crazy things that, that I've seen come across my path, there's been a few. Um, one recently, I can remember a few months ago at the start of school, uh, there was some construction going on uh, in one of our buildings, main office area. And a week or so before school they st- a foul smell. As you walk into this new main office, beautiful. Couldn't figure out what it was and then we started seeing maggots all over the place. Uh, where are these maggots coming from? We couldn't find the source of this anywhere. Just oh, maggots everywhere, they just weren't isolated. The smell was overwhelming and kids are ready to come back to school. Well, it turns out it was a dead cat between the new wall that the contractor's put up in the outside brick uh so we after a few holes in the wall trying to find it uh we finally found the dead cat and pulled it out uh that was that was the most recent uh, uh you know bizarre experience i've had
1: i understand you also deal a lot with um Stinging insects, you know, because this has got to be a huge concern for a school district, especially if you have kids that are allergic. How do you, I mean, what's the best way to handle those without, I mean, obviously there's times when you're going to have to uh, use a pesticide, but what are some options before you get to that point?
4: Uh, Depending on, you know, if you see one flying around, that doesn't constitute any action. You know, they could be coming from down the street. Uh, out of a garbage can across the street uh nests you can use a hose to knock a nest on you can we use a power water uh, power pressure sprayer okay uh to to knock nests down, uh, or flush them out of the ground uh depending on the buildings a lot of our buildings have a metal flashing in which stinging insects love the hot heat metal that's where you're going to find a stinging insect, the hottest part of the building or your home, usually around metal. They, the hotter, the better. So, I mean, there's times we have to treat up along the eaves of these buildings to keep them, you know, with the windows open during the day so the kids can get fresh air, they may be coming in. So okay. we have, we may have to spray along the eaves uh, on occasion. But uh, water source, again, the hose, pressure uh, pressure sprayer, uh, they they also have uh, non toxic or oils now in aerosol cans that you can use on stinging insects. It it's not as quick as a kill, so if you have a large nest, I wouldn't recommend it. But if you have a small nest in like a handrail or uh, you know hanging on on a corner of a window, uh, that non toxic uh, oil is pesticide free. It's a good product to use.
1: Okay, all right, um, and go ahead, Maria.
5: It also depends on the time of year. Um, later in the summer, like in September and October, that's when the stinging insects get really bad because they're trying to fatten up the queen for over the winter. Uh, okay. The new the new queens and um, they're attracted to our to, to the dumpsters. And uh, what we do is we have traps that we fill up with actually pop don't use diet pop it won't work um soda sh- for the soda. people that aren't from pittsburgh <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you know we put the pop in there halfway for juice and then they're attracted to that and they go in and we catch a lot of them huh. that way so that's an ipm tactic because lots of times the garbage men don't want to come and take the the rubbish and we can't ex- you know they come from all over you know they're just not they could be coming from next door three thousand feet away and we we try to trap them that's and cool. that'll kill them because they can't get out they their wings get sticky then they can't get back out and uh, they usually okay. like, so like drown like use
1: a half a two a two liter bottle of uh, soda or no
5: like a uh, maybe probably about a cup that fits inside this jar oh
1: uh, you have a special jar for it yeah or, okay yeah. And i see
5: they go in and that's a a great tool and it's at the end of the year, you know, when they're looking for carbs. I see.
1: Do you deal with the um, other uh, issues like uh, raccoons or, or snakes and things? Is that a part of your integrated pest management sure. program? Sure, yeah. Okay, and, and what types of uh, uh, what types of tips can you give listeners for dealing with, let's say, uh, let's start, this area of Pittsburgh, we've got a lot of
4: squirrels. How do you, how do you deal with the squirrels? Uh, you know what, I've, all these years I've never really had, had any issues with squirrels occasionally we'll get an occasional invader okay uh come in trees overhanging on your home remove that and them trees overhanging they'll get onto your roof they can get into your chimney they can get into uh exhaust fans uh duct work those those were the issues that i've discovered since since i've been doing this uh So, if you can keep your trees cut back and don't give them an avenue to get onto your roofs to get into your house, that'd be the best suggestion I I can give you. Okay. What
1: about others? Uh, Any snakes, raccoons? Uh, You have to deal with that? Raccoons.
4: uh, We did one time, we had a tree overhanging one of our roofs. Okay. And uh, on that roof, they had uh, skylights. One was broken. Probably. 60 70 skylights on this roof one was broken and we had a raccoon get in well this raccoon happened to be pregnant Uh. this raccoon got in had babies was living in the ceiling and uh, nobody knew this raccoon was there until she got hungry overnight this raccoon would get into the refrigerator of this office (laughs) and go in and eat she got pups to feed you know they're (laughs) hungry they gotta eat too and that's how we knew we had a raccoon. Nobody ever seen them. So uh, I put some cages, uh, have a heart traps, okay. up in the ceiling. We caught three babies and the mother out of there and set them free. Uh, took them a, you know, quite a few miles away, four or five miles away, and, and set them free into the woods. Interesting. Okay. But, uh, yeah, we come across a little bit of everything. Uh, you know we have almost 9 million square feet of property uh, so you you'll come across just about it all eventually cliff do you have any any others
3: yeah oh sure uh in the event of an outbreak of uh, MRSA, which is a uh, antibiotic uh, resistant staph infection would you get involved with that
5: not through pest control, but through our custodial department. If there is an outbreak, um, we will sanitize the room. We use different methods. We have a, it's actually an aerosol can that disinfects, but we go in and wipe all the furniture down, anything that the children could touch. We have, you know, it, there. Um, it's actually a green chemical. It's twist and fill. It's a twist and fill product, and we use that in our classrooms to disinfect and to kill you know the MRSA
4: what uh, go ahead Cliff. What about mold? We have an environmental specialist who deals with mold and, uh, they usually bring in an outside company to uh, rectify that issue okay
1: what about um, turf and, and you know the surroundings around the schools is that a part of the IPM program as well
4: uh, to an extent, yeah, we do have a land labor landscape department that handles the trees and the flowers and the shrubs and the uh, fertilizing. Uh, they pretty much are limited to now is just uh, fertilizing on occasion so they can build strong root systems for the athletic fields. Uh, other than that, we don't uh, use any weed killers in the fertilizers, uh, so usually just nitrogen. Okay. Um. You know, again, to build a good grassroots. So you know, we got thirty thousand students. They can tear some grass up. uh, (laughs) You know, they. You know, they don't deal with uh, pesticides very often. Okay.
1: Now let's go back. Um, Maria, you started this program. uh, How long ago now has it been since you actually? called it IPM. You were doing it before that, I think. But
5: I started it in 1989. It was actually started before that, 1987. IPM went into effect in 1998.
1: 98. And mm-hmm. I understand the school district is the first in the state and the fifth in the nation. Can you tell us to, to receive an award? What, what award would that be? Or, or an, I guess not, maybe not an award, but just... Uh, it,
5: We're star certified through the IPM Institute of North America. They came down. What they did is, you know, you could say you're IPM, but it's an outside organization that came down and inspected us, went around with us, you know, visited our records, our stock room, our schools, um, interviewed, like, our custodians, and, you know, we went through this test, this procedure, not a test, this whatever, I don't know how to Rating of some type. Right, and they, and, and they scored us. And when I first got my score, it was passing, but I didn't like to score. And I said, well, what, what what aren't I doing? Well, there's some things that I can't change, like the pesticides that are out there. You know, we go with the the least toxic. But they came out, and then I brought my score up you know, and I was I was happier with that. But.
1: So, uh, you were n- you were the first in the state to get this star from the, the American, uh, I'm sorry, North American?
5: Institute I- IPM Institute of okay. North America.
1: And we'll try and get their website up on our, or their uh, link up on our website when we're done here. And now I understand it's law in the state of Pennsylvania, at least, that every school district implement some level of integrated pest management. Is it can you tell me a little more about that?
5: Every school district, by law, is supposed to have an IPM program. Okay. Okay. I know we do, and I know we got calls from different school districts who did implement, implement or are trying to implement a program. Is every school district doing it i I can't answer that question okay, I can no. only speak for ourselves
1: can you give me a general I'm not looking for exact numbers, but can you give me a general idea that it cost a little more to get the program started than the contract program that was in place, and over time has it has it has that changed
5: at the beginning, it might have been a little bit more expensive, but over the years, I could tell you I know that when i first started to what we spend now is a lot we spend a lot less
1: now okay so it's it's come down over time as yes. you've gotten people to buy into the program I guess, right so.
4: sure if you have um if you're if you're fixing something permanently then pests won't be back into that classroom so schools so that are looking
1: at this have to look at the sure. long term a little bit more than it,
4: uh, it's definitely long term that's what ipm is about it's long term suppression uh it it may be a little more labor demanding. You know, you know, placing baits ain't that difficult, but when you got 77 open schools and you're placing baits, and you got to keep going back and checking them, you know, we got thousands and thousands of classrooms in the district, so it's very labor intensive. You may have some cost on the labor end. As far as my my budget now is half of what hers is was 16 years ago interesting so over the long haul uh, as far as materials and, and baits and stuff uh, you're going to save on that end all right
5: we're going to
4: ready you want to add something
5: yeah I just want to say that every IPM it's not just uh, the pest control operator doing their job or the custodian it everybody's involved in I, IPM everybody has a re- personal responsibility Like I said before, sanitation is the key. You want to make your area not attractive to pests. We stress to only eat in the cafeteria or the teacher's lounge. If you do have food, you want to keep it in plastic-sealed containers, not Ziploc bags. You're not going to stop a rat or mice. They could chew, a rat could chew through concrete. So (laughs) you want to keep every – if they really want to, they'll chew through the plastic container too. But um, you want to deter them. So plastic containers are going to work better than a, a Ziploc bag and that everybody's part IPM. That's the key. Like I told you before, communication, cooperation that's when you'll get control.
1: Communication, cooperation leads to control. Alright, Annie, you're at the controls let's take it
5: into the roundup.
3: Move them on hit them up, hit them up, move them on move them on, hit them up, raw high
1: cut them out, ride them in, ride them in let them out, cut them out, Right, we're back at the roundup here. Let's go with the Z Man first. Cliff, any final questions or comments?
3: Yeah, I do actually have a couple final questions, uh, but they're they're, they're short. Uh, number one, I, I wondered whether or not there is a routine inspection period, like you know they, they send a, a tech through a, a kitchen once every month or once every sixty days, and then the second is, do they have any facilities where they have a permanently based you know, technician who's just responsible for treating that one facility.
4: Mike? Well, right now, um, uh, our, our food kitchen, where where a lot of the elementary schools' lunches and breakfasts are are prepared, I think they they make thirty thousand or so meals every day. That gets inspected on a routine basis. That's done. A minimum of once a week. Actually, that's where uh, my office is in the same building. So if I'm not doing it, uh, we have the custodian who who's licensed in pest control. He goes through uh, a big team effort when it comes. That's kind of our baby down there. Uh, that's the last place we want any problems. And um, what was your second question? I'm sorry.
3: Well, I guess whether you had any permanently like what would okay? I guess the questions were number one: Do you have any permanently based technicians? You know, based at a high school or based at a big facility? And then the second was: How often do you inspect these? Do you have a routine uh, route where you inspect these facilities on a weekly basis, monthly, bi-monthly, annually?
4: Well, basis usually um. Uh, a building's getting inspected as on an as-needed basis. That's where the custodians and the staff come into play. If there is an issue, they will let me know. I um, obviously can't get to uh, 90-some locations on a routine basis. Uh, but, uh, you know, when, when, if a problem comes up, they let me know. I get, get work orders and... and
1: are you the only guy in the...
4: Uh, I am the only guy who goes out and do, does it on a daily basis. Ah, now, your okay. other part, your other question, we have approximately 20 to 25 custodians who are licensed I see. to do it. Now, they may do a lot of the work in their own buildings, um, or I can use them on weekends when I, uh, I need help in, in certain doing certain projects. I, I would bring them with me on a Saturday, per se come in, help me go around and and, and get some calls done when I get backed up, especially in the spring and summer and fall. Uh, So there's 20 to 25 other people who are certified to do it. Some of them, maybe 10 or 12, will actually do it in their own buildings. Uh, A handful of them I I bring on on an as-needed basis when I need help. And there's some people who just have it to have it. They have the license just to have the license. They have no interest in doing nothing with it.
5: Yeah,
1: that's pretty uh, That's pretty impressive to me that one guy essentially with, you know, obviously with communication and with cooperation, which is leading to the third seat. The control. The control. <laughs> um, that one guy with those, you know, essential group of part-time, you know, here and there helping out can cover Almost 100 buildings uh, doing integrated pest management. Sure. Maria, was that always the case?
5: I when I did it, um, I was on the same basis as Mike. I would go out and then I would pull the guys in on the weekend. But I'm going to tell you something right now. If somebody sees one roach, we will know about it, and our buildings are used 24 seven. So our custodians are actually they're like I told you before. They're our key. Without them, we, wouldn't, we couldn't be as good as we are because if a cleaner sees something, something at night, they report it to the custodian. The custodian has a license. He goes in and he inspects. But they're, you know, they're walking through the kitchens at night. If you've got a roach problem, you're going to know in the evening because they're nocturnal. They're going to come out at night. And the custodial staff is our eyes when we're not there. And the glue boards and the monitor, you know, and we use glue boards to monitor. Okay. I got to honestly say our kitchens are very clean. They're very clean. I mean, I would recommend you could eat. I would eat in our kitchens before a lot of other places. <laughs> the, the cafeteria ladies, they also play a big part. You know, they keep them They keep them clean. And right. like I said before, sanitation is a key and exclusion. Um we don't have to. I don't know. When I did it, there may have been one, maybe one school that maybe I had a recurring problem at.
1: All right. Let's go to Dr. Dater. Yeah. Any Am final, I final You're or? on, Dater, Any final comments?
0: Uh, well, yeah, certainly. I, I, I think what is important, I just heard that here for the first time, you know, a licensed pesticide applicator, I know in Pennsylvania... Uh, In the old days, I taught part of that course. It was a one-day course. So if somebody is out there and you do this stuff commercially, you better make sure that you have an applicator um, license over there. And and maybe you you hear so much about the bad things about pesticides when we talk about DDT, when we talk about chlordane and all of that, and the bad name comes really from bad application or wrong application. Pesticides have saved millions of lives and have prevented millions of diseases. And um, it is interesting how sometimes attitudes towards pesticide, uh, pesticides change. I remember from uh, California, said, oh, no, we don't want to have this and this and this then all of a sudden they were infested with some mosquito of whatever mosquito it was. And I said, well, um, maybe if we do selective spraying over here, you're going to kill the mosquitoes. That is almost similar to a little bit larger pest, and that is called a bambi. It's a deer. In a very affluent area in Pittsburgh, people, which is, neighboring to a forest and a park and all of that there were tons of deer but all the people said no hunting over here you know you can't shoot little bambis then the little bambis came and ate um yeah ten thousand dollars worth of landscaping (laughs) (laughs) and uh, i said hey wait a second these little bambis are not all that cute like in the walt disney films and I said, nope, they are not. And I said, yeah, well, we don't want to shoot them over here, but maybe we, go, uh, we get archery, <laughs> we allow archery over here. I really don't want those bumpies in my front yard. So things are changing or attitudes are changing. It's very simple to say, I don't want to have any pesticide in my house, comma. However, if the roaches are coming, if the mice are coming, if the raccoons are coming, I said, oh, wait, 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 wait a second, what am I going to do now? So again application is is, is, is is the key thing. Read the label, do it right, and I think uh, though they can be used there will be useful chemicals and uh, they, they can safely be used without uh, uh, harming uh, 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 people i'm not I'm not saying that it's a good idea to spray that stuff on a newborn but something like or something like that but if uh, if you if you apply it correctly, I don't think you really have a problem.
1: Well, and I think the the whole idea of the program too is to uh, use as little as possible. I mean, essentially, you absolutely, yeah, prevention is first, you know. And well, uh, well, before we go, though, um, Maria, I've got two. Uh, if we could get two quick short questions and one would be if other school districts or building owners or you know wanted to get more involved with IPM how would you suggest they get started where would they go for information and then the same question for consumers
5: Penn State has an excellent website for um, IPM and they can call like I've had calls from different school districts on how to start it you'd want to go to your administrators you need that like I said before you need to communicate, go to them, and then there is all kind of information out there. Penn State, they actually will help you, and you know, implement IPM, one.
1: IPM of North America, I guess, is another yeah. good resource.
5: IPM of North America.
1: What about for consumers? I mean, you're you're both, uh, you know, you live in your home, and uh, where, where would you send consumers for more
5: information? Well, they can also go to the Penn State web. The same thing, the same rules implement imp, are implemented that you can use at home, we use in the school. I see, okay. It works everywhere. Last Same thing, rules.
1: before we go, is there anything we missed that you'd like to add? I know that you had a couple of notes here and I wanted to make sure we got to anything that maybe we missed. Mike, anything you wanted to add? <laughs>
4: no, no, just that, uh, you know, uh, if you want an IPM program to work, cooperation from from everybody. Uh, if you If you don't fix the problems, the, the problems will reoccur, and the long-term suppression will not work. Okay. Maria. I know
5: one thing I wanted to say about gnats. You were asking about gnats before we started. Yeah. The key to dealing with any type of gnat fruit fly problem is to find the source. You can spray till the cows come home. You will never, ever eliminate that problem unless you find the source.
1: So there's some source where there's a piece of rotting fruit or there's right. a piece of something, and... We've got to find that source and get rid of it.
5: Yes, and sometimes it's difficult to find a source.
1: see so you've got a mouse caught in an inkjet. Yeah. <laughs> a friend
5: of mine from the county actually sent me this picture, and I use it in my trainings. There was a mouse that actually caught, got caught in it. Ink cartridge of a laser jet printer, and this mouse actually lived. Wow, he actually, I think he deserved to live after (laughs) being caught in that. (laughs) So they let him out, let him out in the loose.
1: All right, well, listen, I want to uh, thank both Mike the Croce and Maria Moyo for joining us this week on IAQ Radio and talking about integrated pest management. It's been a a lot of fun and uh, a great show. I also want to make sure that before we go, we thank uh, the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick, Environmental Annie, and Koalecki at the controls, Dr. Dieter for joining us here uh, at halftime and then during the roundup. Next week, uh, we've got Mike Kerner. We're going to start a little series on um, cleaning and some chemical science and cleaning science issues. We're going to talk with Mike Kerner next week on IAQ Radio. But uh, most importantly, thanks to our growing group of loyal listeners. Please come back and join us next Friday at noon for the next broadcast of IAQ Radio.
2: This has been another IAQ Radio production.